If you have your Bibles, let's look together this morning at Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read 12 through 21. Looks like the sun is shining in again, so if y'all need to move, feel free to do that. Kathy, you're going to be all right? It's right in your eyes. Dan? Okay, yeah. Feel free to move if you need to. I know it's hard to pay attention when you got this bright light in your light in your eyes. Last week, we, um, we looked together at this question of what is in your future that changes your now? Do you remember that? What is it in your future that changes your present? Everybody, everyone in this room, all of us have an answer to that. Sometimes it's good answer, sometimes it's not. But the truth is, we have an answer to that question. And last week, we looked together at the biblical answer to that question. The Bible's answer to that question is that right now, we have a present power from a future glory. Remember that? Present power from a future glory. Well, this morning we're going to look at the next question. What does it look like? What does it look like to have that power every day? What does it look like to live and have that power every day? Maybe to ask the question a different way, what does it look like to follow Jesus daily, weekly, yearly. These verses I'm going to read are help, going to help us answer that question. So listen to this. This is God's word. Never get tired of it. Ask him that he would help all of us to not get tired of hearing his word. It's the eternal truth. It's not going to fade away. Not that I have already obtained, this is verse 12 of chapter 3, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. You see, he's connecting us with what we looked at last week. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in, the, in their shame, with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray together. O Lord in heaven, it is certainly true that we can eat and consume things until our bellies are absolutely full. We can read until we fall asleep. We can, we can fill up our minds and our stomachs all the time to more than capacity. But you have so made us 
so that our hearts and our souls can never have enough of your love and your power. We can never, ever, ever consume enough in our souls of your truth and your love and your power. So we ask, Lord, that you would continue to fill us and strengthen us. Help us to understand these words and therefore that we, so that we might live differently this week. Lord, help us never to come here to be entertained, to escape. We are here because we need you to deal with us. So please do that as you always do, lovingly, graciously, through Christ. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Our question this morning is, what does it look like to have that power? What does it look like to follow Jesus every day, every week, every year? What does it look like? Oftentimes when we think about this question and we think about our lives, we have a tendency to reduce our walk with Christ to a series of habits. We have a tendency to think to ourselves, this is what walking with Christ looks like every day. It's just a list of habits and practices, you know, like Bible reading or attending worship or prayer. And those things aren't bad in and of themselves. We need to attend worship. We need to pray. We need to read his word. Absolutely true, as well as many other things. But we often forget in the midst of our reading, in the midst of attending worship, in the midst of prayer, we often forget that Jesus is the end, Jesus is the purpose, Jesus is the goal as to why we pray. Jesus is the goal of worship, Jesus is the goal of everything. If you're like me, I'm sure that you struggle with this. If you're like me, I'm sure that you struggle because you feel like you're guilty because that doesn't always happen. We don't always think about the Lord Jesus. We think about, well, I've prayed every day this week, maybe at every meal. I've read my Bible every day, but we struggle with realizing that we're supposed to connect with the Lord Jesus Christ all the time and in everything. It's almost like this. If you were to ask me how my marriage to Jenny is, if you were to say, tell me about your marriage, and if I were to answer you, well, I need to remember her birthday, I need to remember our anniversary, I need to remember that she loves chocolate, I need to help around the house. I need to make the bed every morning because that's my responsibility. I need to remember date nights once a month. And when when she asked me, well, Dave, why are you doing all this? My response could be at times, I'm maintaining the relationship. Right? We have a tendency to reduce all types of things that are really important to just a list of habits to a technique so that we think to ourselves well we just check this box everything's great and we don't get to the Lord Jesus Christ or I don't help Jenny and serve Jenny and love Jenny because I want to connect with her I want to know her more deeply and I want her to know me you see walking with Christ is not a formula it is not a technique it is not following a list of habits The Apostle Paul's dominant theme here in the verses I read for you this morning, the the main thing he's communicating to us is summed up with these two words, pressing on. 
What does it look like to follow Christ and live with Him every day? Well, it looks like this, pressing on. Now, in this text, there are two truths that seem to pull the Apostle Paul forward as he's pressing on. Just like there are two truths that pull us forward as we press on with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first one is that Paul, just like we can, has a very strong sense of calling. As a matter of fact, in the text here, he calls it an upward call of God. It means that it comes from heaven. It means that the Apostle Paul feels and knows and understands that God has called the Apostle Paul to life. Don't specify this call too much to his particular calling of preaching the gospel and building and planting churches. It's much more personal, it's much deeper than that, and it's much broader than that. The Apostle Paul is saying, God has called me to life from heaven. God has summoned me to life, and every day I feel as though my life is completely different because God has called me to life. He has summoned me to life, and what that means is I am not my own. You see, that's true for all of us if we entrust ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, that God has called us to himself and we are no longer our own. We've been purchased through the Lord Jesus. The second thing that seems to constantly pull Paul forward and that this also should pull us forward every day is knowledge of the future. If you look at verse 20 and 21, you look at verse 13, what you find is Paul is thinking about what lies ahead. Paul is thinking about the fact that he gets to await his Savior, that he's waiting on the Lord Jesus. What's pulling him forward is the future, in that he knows that one day his lowly body is going to be transformed into a glorious body, and one day he will see the Lord Jesus, and he will be like the Lord Jesus, and his new body will be like the body of the risen Christ. And Jesus' power is at work to make that happen. You see, Paul is called and he has the future. And those two truths pull him forward every day as he presses on. In the other verses, he lays out again something he said before. He says that we need to think about our leaders and we need to think about role models and we need to think about how they function in our lives because it's very important. He already mentioned this to us before in chapter 2, remember? Role models are important. Leaders are important. Remember, if you're young, this is a struggle for you because you're used to defining yourself exclusively by your friends. That's the box that the culture wants to put you in, whether you're 5 or whether you're 35. The culture wants to put you in a box in which you live exclusively with your friends, you talk exclusively to your friends, you only talk with people that have the exact same knowledge base as you, and you don't need anyone older than you, and you don't need to ask any questions of anyone. That's the box that the culture wants to put you in. And the gospel blows that up, it explodes that. It pulls you out of that category and says, no, you need older people in your life. And God says to those of us who are older, you need those that are younger. 
You see, God's building a new community. He's building a community in which we live together, in which we understand one another and strive to understand one another and live together in this new community. And the Apostle Paul comes back to this again and says this is very important. Although this time he seems to anticipate that we might not buy into this yet. You know, because of that awkwardness, because it's so easy to stay in our comfort zone of being defined by those who are exclusively our own age, it's really hard to step out of our comfort zone and ask someone who's younger or ask someone who's older who they are, how they're doing, and what's going on, and get to know them. That's why he says in verse 15, look, some of you aren't convinced of this yet. But God's going to reveal that to you. Some of you aren't convinced that this is important at all. But it is. God will convince you of that. And even if you don't think that way, oh, there's time. There's time. God will clear this up for you. You see, in thinking about life together in the church, in thinking about, about, in thinking about our lives in general, God always gives us space to process and think and develop over time. He always does. And if we're going to reflect that in our church, then we have to give people space. We have to give people time. We have to recognize that we need time. That change happens slowly. That change happens over time. We don't just hear something from God and boom, immediately do it. We don't always verbalize that we disagree with God, but sometimes our hearts are out of tune with His. And we need space and time to process and think and wrestle with and admit our shortcomings and admit that we are incredibly insecure. That's why the Apostle Paul says, look, you might not buy into this yet, but don't worry. God's at work. God's at work. There's space here for you to think and process and change over time. Don't worry. And then he goes on to say in verse 18 and 19 that they're actually bad models. We need good role models. We need solid leadership. But don't forget that there are bad role models as well. He lays out for us in 18 and 19 that there are some that have walked away. You see, at one time they were spiritual. They were even a leader. But it's one point... They completely walked away. And Paul dives into that and he says, actually their goals are on this world. Now listen, the Apostle Paul here is talking about those within the scope of the church. He's not talking about leaders who are outside of the church. He's talking about us. He's wanting us to think about those who claim the name of Christ and those who are under the biggest tent that you can imagine of the church. And he's saying that there are some of those leaders, listen to what he says. I'll go ahead and read it. For many of whom I have told you, often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Listen to this. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. You see, when you really get down to it, Paul is saying, there are some folks in the church and there are some leaders who are only out for things of this world. 
if you're to really analyze their message and really think about what they're saying and really think about who they are and really think about the end and the goal of everything that they're doing and the purpose of every message and what's going on, their ultimate goal is to capitalize on things of this world. To say it another way, the Apostle Paul starts out with the absolute bullseye of it. They are enemies of the cross. They never say anything about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus is not the focus of their leadership and their ministry. The Lord Jesus is not the power of their ministry. It's something else. And the Apostle Paul says, I tell this to you even now with tears. And if you think the Apostle Paul is being too harsh, please remember what he said in chapter 1. There are some who preach the gospel from different motives. Remember this? But they're preaching Christ. That's where the Apostle Paul draws the line. If you can observe a ministry... And there's, no, and there's nothing with that ministry to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says, we're in trouble. Even with tears. Perhaps you've known some in the church who have walked away. Perhaps you've known some who their whole ministry was really more about earthly things than the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the leaders that I've had before has walked away. One of the men that I train and work with walk away, walked away. Can't tell you how hurtful that is to see it. When the Apostle Paul says, he says this all with tears, it's true. When you know someone that you've looked up to or worked with closely, experienced life with them, walk with them through difficulty, shame, hardship, loss, and then at the end of the day they just walk away? The Apostle Paul is not saying this as if he is better than anybody else. He's saying this because he wants us to focus on the cross. And he wants us to be careful that whoever we're listening to and whoever we're sitting under, spiritually speaking, that they must be focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's challenging all of us as leaders of this church to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul adds even himself to this list. He says, follow me. Look at verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. And it's really hard at times to hear this from the Apostle Paul. It's really hard to hear this perhaps even from the Lord himself at times when we are supposed to follow men and we are supposed to submit to leaders of God's church. It's really hard. Because oftentimes we're so jaded. We're so jaded from all the leadership models that we see out there. In the church as well as outside. You know, it seems like the, to me anyway, the dominant leadership model in the church and outside the church is this. Identify Superman and try to get as close as you can to the wind of his cape and just stay there. And so we hear this and think the Apostle Paul is telling us, join in imitating me and, and look for others who follow the same Lord that I do and just follow them. It's so hard to hear that because all of us have been burned. All of us are jaded. 
All of us think, well, this is what true leadership is. This is our default position. We find someone who we think is Superman, who is extraordinarily gifted, and we just, we just try to stay in that tailwind. We just try to follow them, get as close as possible, and hopefully the, the, the overflow of their gifts will just propel us forward. And you see, that's not what the Apostle Paul is really saying at all. We just have to get over our jadedness to hear what he's really saying. The Apostle Paul is not saying here, follow me because I am like Jesus. He's just told us in verse 12 and 13 that he hasn't arrived, neither is he perfect, even though at one time he thought he was. He's telling us that he is not perfect. He's saying that he has not made everything his own perfectly yet at all. He is telling us that he still needs to know Jesus in the power of his resurrection. Do you remember that from verse 12? Do you remember that from verse 11? This, outside of the Lord Jesus himself, this is the greatest church planner to ever live. God raised up the Apostle Paul and he planted churches all over. This is the Apostle Paul saying, Follow me because I still need the Lord Jesus. He's not saying follow me because I'm like Jesus. He's not saying follow me because I'm gifted. He's saying follow me because I still need Christ. Imitate me because I am less than perfect and I need Jesus. He is not pointing to the plan here. He's pointing to the planner. Paul has incredible authority and incredible giftedness. And he's saying, imitate me because I'm a sinner who still needs the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul, remember, has been a believer at least 25 years at this point. And as if the, it's as if the Apostle Paul is saying, look, y'all, the longer I live... The more I need the Lord Jesus. The, the longer I live, the more I understand my sin, and the greater my need is for the Lord Jesus Christ. The longer I live, the more I understand how much I need the Lord Jesus. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Follow me as I repent and believe over and over and over. You see this word, press on, that the Apostle Paul uses. He uses it in verse 12 as well as in verse 14. Did you know that it's actually the exact same word that he uses in verse 6? Where he says, remember this, as to zeal, a persecutor. It's the exact same word. You see, this word literally means to pursue with aggressive action. That can have a negative connotation, a.k.a. persecution, but it's been redeemed. And the Apostle Paul is saying here that I need to pursue something else with aggressive action. I need to press on. As a matter of fact, he focuses it for us in verse 12, when he says, but I press on, excuse me, in verse 13, 
one thing I do. You see, he really means it. He's pressing on, meaning he does one thing. There is one thing, one focus in his life. He's pressing on. That means he's bringing the entirety of his life into one focus. Everything about his life brought into one singular focus. All of his energies into one focus. He's pulling everything together into a single focus. You know why this is so hard for us? Because we often think of our family, uh, our jobs, our our schooling, or the schooling of our children, our, our work, our circumstances as different things. You think of your entertainment as one thing and your social life and your schooling, and you think of them as different things. We all do. We all have a tendency to compartmentalize our lives. And the Apostle Paul is saying, no. God doesn't have a mission for his people. He has a people for his mission. Paul is simplifying our lives. He's saying, gather up the entirety of your life and look at it through one single focus. Everything. Look at it through one focus. The gospel reorients our life, you see? The message of Christianity reorients our life into a single focus. We are to look at everything through the lens of the gospel. Everything. Your job, your circumstances, your social life, your rest, everything. If you're to think about, what am I going to do? Should I change jobs? Well, you run that through the lens of the gospel. When you think about your money, you say, well, God has saved me, and therefore, where does he want me to to give? Where does he prioritize that? When you think about your time, you say, well, what does God say about my time and how I should spend my time? When you think about anything, you bring it under one focus. At times when I get home at night, my, uh, my kids are still working on their homework. And one of the big struggles at the Osborne house for homework seems to be maintaining the pencil and the eraser. So there are times when my kids can't find the pencil that they, you know, they have to use. They can't find their favorite eraser. Or somebody stole it or took it. Somebody hit it, somebody broke it, doesn't have lead, you just go on and on, right? Can't find the pencil, can't find the eraser. Dad, what do we, I mean, there's just sometimes there are tears. And I'm wondering, what in the world is going on? So I walk in there and say, so-and-so, pick any, you know, there are only three choices, you can pick one, you know. What's going on? Well, I, I can't find my pencil, he stole my pencil, broke my pencil, I can't find my pencil like daddy's got a whole drawer full of pencils and erasers don't worry about pencils don't worry about erasers and that may sound really corny but you know the truth is that in our lives the only thing that we are ever going to lose are pencils 
and erasers. And you all know how much that has grieved me that I lost my grandmother recently. I'm not saying this in a cold, callous way. The truth is we will only lose pencils and erasers. God has given us everything, everything. And he's simplifying our lives and saying, look at everything through the gospel. And maybe he's also saying, stop complaining about all the pencils and erasers. Grieve where you need to grieve. Be angry at what you should be angry at. Get frustrated at what should frustrate you. But run everything through the gospel. Everything. And then he gives us, the Apostle Paul gives us the reason. He tells us why he's pressing on. Listen to this. I press on to make it, we'll call it salvation. I press on to make salvation my own. Verse 12. Because, this is the reason, this is the reason why Paul's pressing on. This is the reason why Paul wants to bring everything into this one single focus. This is the reason why the Apostle Paul pursues everything with aggressive action and brings it all under one. Because, verse 12, Christ has made me his own. Here's the reason. Do you think that your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ begins with you? You hear this press on and do you think to yourself, well, here it is. Here's what I, here's what I need to get going. Here's what I need to do. Do you think that your walk with God began with you? Do you think that Christianity begins with you? And this is more than a theological question. How do you live? Do you live as if everything begins with you? We love, we exert power, we find purpose and drive toward a particular purpose, and we hold on to something, and we pursue with aggressive action because there is a prior love. There is a prior power. There is a prior purpose. We are being held onto. We have been pursued with aggressive action in Christ. Christianity, you see, is not a self-help way to live. The message of Christianity is not the best way for you to control your life and get what you want. As one man has said, you can't make yourself a Christian. So how do I know that God is dealing with me? How do I know that God is dealing with me in my life? Well, sometimes he does it gradually. Remember the beginning of the Philippian church in Acts 16? There is reasoning and there is engagement and there are questions and there are answers and there is exploration. At other times, God deals with us in some type of dramatic experiential encounter. Remember the slave girl. 
There are so, some things in our lives that have such a firm hold in our heart that nothing outside of a dramatic experiential encounter with the power and grace of God is going to change it. And sometimes we need to see a sermon like the jailer more than we need to hear it. God perhaps is quietly talking to you. It's that nagging conscience that won't go away. Sometimes you also have to admit that he's always there and that you can't deny him. That he's never left you, that he's never stopped talking, that, he, that you have never lost your sense of what's right and wrong. But it's true. Sometimes it's when you realize that you're dissatisfied with the spiritual condition of your heart. But you will know when God is working, whether he's reasoning with you slowly or whether it's that quiet voice that's there, it will always result. It will always result in looking and needing and entrusting yourself to the Lord Jesus. That's how you'll ultimately always know that you'll realize you need the Lord Jesus more and more. You see, when the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee, his mentality was always, God takes hold of me because I've taken hold of him. When the gospel begins to work in our lives, we have a new mentality. I take hold of God because he first took hold of me. The poem was written a number of years ago. It's anonymous. wish I could tell you who it was, but perhaps it doesn't matter. The author of this poem said this, among other things. Here's the beginning. I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew. He moved my soul. To seek him seeking me. It was not I that found no Savior true. No, I was found of thee. Let's pray together. Lord, we are here and we are learning more and more that we need to press on in our lives. That we need to bring everything in our lives into one single burning focus. That we need to pursue the Lord Jesus with aggressive action. Lord, it's hard and difficult and we fail. But Lord, we are reminded that we can press on because someone has laid hold of us already. Lord, Strengthen us today and tomorrow and for the rest of our lives to never deny that we need to press on, but encourage us, Lord, to never take credit for pressing on. Convince us more and more that our pressing on is because Christ has made us his own. We pray this, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen.